everybody. It's February 5th. I'm Charlie Fink. It's This Week in XR. I'm here with my friends, Ted Shilowitz and Cheryl Baer, CEO of Living Pop-Ups. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. So we've got a few stories in the news to cover this week, and uh, then, then I'd love to hear what Living Pop-Ups is up to. For those who don't know, Living Pop-Ups did the animation, AR animation, in my first book and contributed its Augmentors AR animation series to my second book. Uh, so we'll hear what they're up to in the world of AR and uh, entertainment. Uh, they've got some other big contracts with industrial partners and defense partners, and we'll hear about that too. Mobile AR continues to be the largest category of XR uh, applications out there. People love it, and everybody's got a mobile phone. So with that said, Apple VR back in the news this week, uh, Bloomberg leading with a description of an 8K headset with a dozen outward facing cameras that is primarily at least at first a very high end media consumption device uh, with ambitions to be much, much more. Uh, the thought is that it'll be very expensive like uh, Apple's first iterations of electronic products usually are uh, for prosumers and first adopters. But the idea is like the iPod and the iPhone that it'll slowly iterate itself into a all day, every day mixed reality headset. Ted is not gonna comment in too much detail, uh, but I think the most, <clears throat> because he's, I, I guess, working with Apple, but uh, the thing that strikes me about it is an 8, 8K. 8K and VR have not yet met. Uh, and that could be an extraordinary development. 8K is higher resolution than your normal uh, eye, the unaided eye. So now you're looking at something that is super real right? More real than it would be with the naked eye. So I think the implications of that are quite striking. But Ted, is there going to be enough content for, for an 8K headset? Or is most of the content they're going to be viewing, even though it is 8K, going to be 2K and 4K like most media is today? Well, I, I think maybe the, the first thing that's notable is that the, um, the one of the reports that sort of ruffled a lot of feathers and, and reintroduced this again into the tech rag, tech blogs and everything was that um, one of, the, um, one of the, the, the virtual papers that does some investigative reporting called The Information picked up on this this week and reported that one of their reporters had connected with someone that had actually seen something. And so, you know. We have an eyewitness. There, there may or may not be uh, that confirmed or not. I, I, I tend to... Uh, the level of that credibility is is spurious, right? Um, so, so you have to take that with a grain of salt. Um, well, you know, I, there are multiple teams at Apple all over the world working on um, different XR yeah. applications. So, I, I always, when I hear these things, feel like they may be conflating the features of different projects yes. or different products. Um, maybe, but in this case, there was an eyewitness. So, I again, I find all these rumors a little bit odd that supposedly they're at at Foxconn doing prototype runs, uh, you know, to figure out how much it really costs to make it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, supposedly, uh, you know, there are people running around in Cupertino wearing, you know, demo headsets. So, um, you know, there's there's a lot of noise, but I'm surprised we haven't seen anything except for drawings that were, as you pointed out, leaked from the patent applications. Right. So. so yeah. It's kind of shocking that that they could that a company with over 100,000 employees is going to keep it this much of a secret this long 
if it's anywhere close to being announced. Apple's, you know, Apple's pretty good at doing that and obfuscating and pushing people down one track and taking people off the track. There, but there's a lot of really important things to note that, that are kind of in what you're talking about to unpack. I think the thing that's really the most important is that you know, from the top down, from Tim Cook down, they have been very overt and very public about their believability in augmented reality and mixed reality. That it is you know, stated very clearly that this is part of the evolution of compute. The next compute platform is a screen that is not a screen anymore. It's a screen that lives with you, connects with you, and becomes kind of this ultimate screen that can do many things. And just like with kind of every other product evolution that Apple has done, um, because we would argue Apple tends to evolve and refine rather than innovate. Um, you can sort of track that historically uh, with design and application and use case. My instinct is that they will travel a very similar road with this, that they will start to find the kind of human equation that makes sense for something you want to wear rather than hold, rather than put on your desk. And then they'll start to explore what that means, right? Just like they explored the Apple Watch. That's what I was giving a lot of my, my colleagues sort of the, the sort of frame of reference that if you look at how the Apple Watch has become a very interesting, very creative force, mine is on my desk outside because it's early morning here, I haven't put it on yet. Um, but from one to two to three to four to five to six to seven, it starts to like really, even though the form factor itself is fairly similar, changed and advanced, it starts to morph into lots of different use cases and applications as they study the human relationship to compute. So I was going to say, I really appreciate what you're saying, because I do think they are innovators because they try something and then they're about evolution is innovation. Innovation is evolution. And so it keeps on growing. So Yes, we see that when you said mobile device is the right now, the way that people are, but this is something that they kind of started and led the way in that. So now you know how to use your phone, you know how to use it with a camera. The natural progressions of human behavior is what I really appreciate as the larger company understands technology and human behavior and lets them evolve together instead of having an expectation to land right away, they go, this is 1.0, this is 2.0, right? And yeah. So you're gonna see a different philosophy than Facebook philosophy, and neither of them is wrong. It's just, they, no right they live in two different sides. Well, I suppose long-term we'll figure out what the right answer was in retrospect, yeah. but there's no way sitting here now until the devices are offered under the conditions of sale to really know what's gonna happen. I continue to believe there's a tremendous amount of friction for head-mounted displays, uh, my clients, uh, you know, in health systems and defense, uh, who are CTOs and very advanced industrial uh, digital transformation executives, who have still not really wrapped their heads around VR. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that again, inside the industry, it always seems about to happen. But if you go <laughs> into the wild and meet people who are really working in normal businesses. You know, it's not on their radar screen. You know, the iPhone 12 is on their radar screen, right. uh, but but head-mounted displays is really entire an entirely new idea. I actually think part of the curiosity that I'm seeing is is people uh, who are bringing a Quest into the family somehow and uh, trying it out and getting curious about how it could be applied to 
uh, enterprises. So I'm also still curious because people naturally are used to wearing watches, but people who even wear glasses kind of at night can't wait to take them off. So because, like because you have to with new technology, take something that people are already doing and make it mm -hmm. better. But with mm -hmm. things like personal computers that cost several thousand dollars, if we go back to ancient history in the 90s, people didn't think they needed them at home until they started spending their entire lunch hour surfing the internet right. and doing email, right? They came home and they felt like they were missing emails. Right. They came home and instead of going to the mall, they wished they could get onto Amazon. So that motivated people. And in the 90s, you know, home PCs and home computers were expensive. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a $2,000 was a lot of money in 1995. Uh, but from 1992, uh, when home computers were in the single digits, to uh, the year 2000, when it was in almost 50% of American households, is an extraordinary amount of growth in personal computers. They've never seen growth like that since. Right. Um, you know, since we've been in the replacement cycle, but the original cycle of the 90s was the initial buy decision, and that was driven by. Um, the killer applications of, of uh, the internet. Yeah. So <clears throat> speaking of head-mounted displays, just to switch a little bit, Magic Leap 2, uh, they are not dead. They are alive and kicking and building a second generation headset. Yeah. No word on its relationship to the first headset or if they're gonna be building it in uh, Plantation, Florida, in the old Motorola plant they occupy or uh, not. So uh, more to learn, but um, what do you think, Ted? Is Magic Leap alive and kicking? Are they going to make it? Well, Charlie, as you know, I've had a I've had a close and interesting relationship with Magic Leap. I still have a very close friendship with Roni, the the uh, the captain of that ship, for a long time. Uh, I handed over the reins to Peggy Johnson, who is an executive at Microsoft. I've had a couple of discussions with her. Um, I. I was I was doing a long class on Zoom last night with USC, uh, talking about innovation. And uh, a couple times a year, I I guest lecture at a at a class. And we this time we did like just a Q and A session with all the kids. Watched some of my presentations when I used to do up on, on stage. And then they had a bunch of questions to ask, and it was really interesting. And Magic Leap, of course, came up because they saw me wearing the device and some of my thoughts about it. And um, I, I went through this kind of interesting discussion uh, with them on lots of topics that ended up with a, a relatively famous poem that is written by Teddy Roosevelt, and it's called The Man in the Arena. If we were to retitle it today, it would be The Person in the Arena. And um, on this show, you and I have spent a long time talking about general magic. Interesting that they both have magic in the name. And how general magic was so influential in even today's devices. And so much has happened that they were really the, 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 the innovators, the pointers of trying to create something new that I think Magic Leap will only receive the credit in the end result X amount of years down the road when they actually look at the first groups to really start to experiment with true spatial head wearable with the kind of tech, the kind of cameras. So it's really Magic Leap and Microsoft that are pushing the envelope. One is a gigantic company and one was an extraordinarily well-funded startup. I would not count Magic Leap out of the game at all. I think um, they will become a very important part of this ecosystem in whatever form it ends up taking. Uh, I think it is a struggle and it will continue to be a struggle to your point. A lot of enterprises, while there are you know, some enterprises that definitely gone in and tried to figure this out, it is not a widely adopted technology yet. So every business contract you land 
uh, with a, ma a magically blonde that has flaws and limitations and challenges is a huge success, like way beyond, you know, trying to sell computers from HP or Dell. Um, so they deserve more credit uh, than I think people realize. And yes, I'm much closer than most people. Most people just read it in the press and read, okay, you know, what do you do with $2.7 billion? We can, there's lots of critique we can take. But yep. down underneath it all, there's actually a lot to this little company that the, the little one that could. And I know I say little X billion dollars, but when you compare it to likely what Apple is spending and Microsoft is spending and-, and Right, Google, it's not a they, crazy amount of money to develop. I think it's, a, can I just chime in by saying, my hope is that they succeed because they have started something that they wanted to come into. I think they need to find their voice in what marketplace. I think they were trying these different things and it's the technology has to also support where you're going for what content you're trying to do because technology is one, like the one thing that I've noticed in many of these companies is Apple doesn't even, or Microsoft didn't, it wasn't just Microsoft. It was the fact that there was content that was on Microsoft that sustained it. So the same with Apple, it's the content that you go for that's on, you know. So for me, the for Magic Leap, I root for the underdog and where there's naysayers and stuff like that. But they have to find what is that marketplace that they're willing to focus on to make a prototype that really well, one of, one of the big criticisms of, of Roni uh, in general is that he led Microsoft, uh, he led Magic Leap uh, in too many directions at once, mm -hmm. right? He was interested in AI, they had a big team on AI, he talked about AI a lot, but it wasn't time for AI to be relevant. There were other things that were more important to establish before they did that. I use that as an example of, you know, were they a consumer device? Were they an enterprise device? You know, what was going to be the marketing focus of the company? So all, all of those things were diffused across a lot of different ideas. Uh, the magic verse, mm. AR cloud, important concept, certainly. But if you're trying to sell headsets for the first time, you have to find something prosaic as Amazon did with shopping for the internet to make people immediately apprehend what's in it for them. Yeah, like, there's a easy, easily apprehensible value proposition, mm -hmm. right? Apple's gonna go TV like you've never seen it before. Immersive entertainment like you've never seen it before. That is a very specific benefit that they're selling to people. Yeah, I mean, going back to this, what we talked about with Apple, there's, there's a difference between trying to force a new behavior and cultivate a new behavior over time. And I think you can see it very clearly. And, and these are light critiques, right? Because I, I, you, it's important for people to try things. It's important yeah. for people to fail. I've, you know, I've lived but it many we, times. And, we, and you and I will, and that's why people listen to us on this podcast. Right, that's kind of why the arena is so important. Like we're the pundits in this case, we're the press, we're the ones talking about it. But the man and the woman in the arena that's really trying to do something new has a much more difficult task than we do analyzing it from well, the outside. Well, I, I hate to make everything political, but if you look a little bit at the Democrats and the Republicans historically, mm -hmm. right, the Republicans have tried to protect the status quo and the Democrats have changed, try to change things. Good point. And trying to change things is hard. Yeah. Protecting the status quo is much easier. Correct. In the same way that it's easier to defend a castle that attack one. Correct. Okay, so to my point before, when I use the word nostalgia, 
Okay. <laughs> Nostalgia is taking okay. something that makes you feel safe from your memory from before and putting a new like sheen on it. So if you look at, right, we were talking about behaviors from phones, people understood how to use a phone to people understand how to use a watch. That's, that's behavior that people are already conditioned with. Yeah. And then taking innovation and knowing that you're going to refine it. I think it's those, you know, those of us who are not afraid to look at human behavior and technology and push the envelopes that way and go, this is what, what now listen, yeah. right? Now listen and learn. And that's what's so fun for those of us who continue to be in this field is that looking at that as a natural progression. Yeah, it's so a for super those good of you, point. For those of you listening and not watching, Ted and I are nodding vigorously. Yes, well, it's a super good point because you, you make this interesting point about when you take something that we were comfortable with, a phone is a great example, and slowly evolve it into, it's not actually a phone anymore in any way, shape or form. Right. It has a phone application. In fact, the ergonomics are so terrible for it to be a phone now that right. you don't want to even put it There's to- There's no it. worse phone on the market than the iPhone. <laughs> and, and the same thing with the watch, right? The watch, yes, has a clock face, but the thing about the Apple Watch and every other smartwatch is it's a, it's a wearable compute device that has a watch application. When you extrapolate that to what we're all talking about every week, which is virtual reality, mixed reality, and Charlie has heard me talk about this, and this is one of these things I would talk about with students in an educational environment. When you start really like getting into the idea that for our many, many lives and many generations, we are very comfortable looking at a border box, right? This rectangular square, even going all the way back to what a book is, right? Or every piece of art that hangs on the wall, albeit with like sculptures like that big fork behind you, that breaks it. But you have many more rectangles and boxes around yeah. your background there yeah. than the one thing that breaks it, which is the fork. When you talk about virtual reality and mixed reality, you're talking about active pixels that break the illusion of the screen. And that is a huge behavioral change. And it's why it takes so long to get there. Like most people have only had a touch at theme parks to understand something other than television or movie style entertainment. So and that was bringing it to the home and everywhere. So I totally a, agree. To your point about that is it takes time. Human behavior is something that actually takes time to change, yeah. right? So it's about conditioning that and it's understanding the patience of that kind of time. When somebody like learns a new habit, it actually takes them 16 times to actually become comfortable with bringing something new. That's uh, having not, I also, I was just uh, a speaker at UCSB and the same kind of thing we're talking about. And that was for film and technology. And so it was talking about how storytelling, sorry. <laughs> um, it was talking about how, you know, story and the use of technology and how in my own experience, I've always been known for challenging where to put new technology in storytelling. So that's been something and it's not being afraid, but it's using things and elements of a story that people would feel comfortable with to take them on the journey that pushes the envelope with using. Well, I think that's a good lead in for some of the work you're doing in terms of the, the world of bringing some of this augmented and mixed reality technology and technique into 
uh, television production you were mentioning before we were before we were on the air that you were doing some interesting things around that. Yeah, well, the first one I sold, Ted, was something we talked about at lunch one day, which was about sleepaway camp. Yes. Okay. And um, and it looks very different. It's photorealistic backgrounds. It's collage art um, characters. Um, but they're ultimately characters and compelling stories about these people that you relate to. Mm -hmm. So if for that one, and I had a bidding war and why it was because everybody understood the natural use of both the technology from inception of storytelling to pre pre show experience during show experience and post show experience that integrates the characters into your world. Okay. The same thing I did with, and that one's, you know, uh, and then the other one was about millennial male dating and being resourceful and learning how to fix shit. <laughs> so, so, so you these know, are things we're going to get to see that have an AR component to them. Oh yes, it has um, an application. And then I have another one that's based on a thriller. So, and it was an international bestseller that we developed in. And so, you're part of solving the who done it. Mm. So, um, you know, it's not only streaming but it's then in the world, you'll have clues and you'll be notified. That's great. Yeah. Cheryl, quick, quick question for our listeners. Aside from the uh, mobile AR, uh, the wonderful, amazing mobile AR that you guys did in my books, where else can people see Living Pop-Ups work? So, um, well, right now I had told you, we do have an Air Force. Um, we're doing something for families with their well, uh, families and well-being in the Air Force, which is exciting. Um, and uh, we do have books to me are huge. Education is huge. Ed tech has become the new sexy, which I think is fun because talk about when I first started saying, no, literacy is huge. 30% of kids have drop off of literacy rates this year since February. So because they were staring at a computer screen and Zoom is just not enough. So um, we were like, and we went to book shows and people were saying, hey, can you reach middle school? So we have books that are coming out that I have Brian Cranston's uh, playing Napoleon in um, Animal Farm. I mean, I, we have a star-studded cast in Animal Farm of Mice and Men, Romeo and Juliet and Hamlet. And um, we create them in eBooks so that if you have a, a laptop or an iPad, you can be using it. We use vertical, we use the vertical screen so that the characters pop off of the oh, vertical. Isn't that great, great idea. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, there's, there's many vertical applications and then mental health, you were talking about healthcare. And right now, this is what's interesting. And I do think because I always say, do not know that because we're using mobile doesn't mean that we can't also be in a headset too. So that we're, again, trying to adapt habits so that people can see they may be very useful to have the headset as well. Um, that's great, Cheryl. I can't wait to see more, more of your work. A uh, couple of other, we, we're out of time. So I'm just gonna throw out a couple of stories that are in my column uh, this okay. week in XR in Forbes today. Okay. Uh, the, uh, the first one is um, Springboard is joining Vertigo Games, the makers yes. of Arizona. Yeah. 
which is actually owned by a Dutch conglomerate. Um, they are were famous for creating a software system for VRCades that included not only customer management, but also licensed software. And it would track the amount of time customers use the software to calculate the royalty payments in a fair and economical way so that the developer as well as the retailer um, could both participate. Um, of course, I, I think retail entertainment is a hard business. And it, for virtual reality, it's even harder because of your throughput and utilization issues. So you've got a business that's operating on a 15 or 20% margin. It's just not that hard if you lose a bunch of customers to understand that they're not gonna be in business for very long. Um, I think it's a great move for Springboard. They're gonna focus on uh, making an enterprise software store, which I think is needed for the adoption. Not everybody can afford to make bespoke solutions. Uh, so you're seeing a lot of the device manufacturers going for uh, app stores for enterprise. So I think that's where they're going. But I think what it says about LBE is important because I think what they're saying is it's just not going to grow enough if it comes back. I think the other thing is he shared headsets. Uh, I mean, I don't care if you have a nuclear clean box. I am done with shared headsets. I have no interest in sharing a headset that is worn by anybody else at any time, nor do I need one. Um, so I think they're going to have trouble. I know everybody is pent up demand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, that'll certainly be true for a few months when people really feel like they're safer. But in the long term, there are just too many moms who are going to say, uh, uh, no, that, well, you know, and I also think it bodes well, though, for people like Meow Wolf who are trying to provide another kind of immersion, right? They've got Omega Mart, which is part of Area 51, which is obviously gonna to have to be hugely rethought in the context of the new normal. But I think Omega Mart is a great example of a virtual reality experience you can have in a very safe way. Although Omega Mart is not gonna be in every mall in every neighborhood, obviously, but it's in a destination just like a lot of VR where you know, people are uh, experiencing new things and new technologies. So I don't think the location-based game is over, but I think in terms of going into a storefront and putting on a headset, that is probably over. And if it's not, it will be over soon. Hmm. Um, you know, so I, that's my personal opinion. I think this is a good indication uh, of, of what's happening there. I think Springboard probably was hard pressed to get more financing in this uh, environment and, and probably unsure how many of its customers really were going to um, be back in business because they did they did depend on so many independents who, if you took away 15% of their business, which is not that much, are not going to survive. So I think we're looking at kind of the end of location-based entertainment. Uh, one other thing, Quest Sales, now that they had their earnings report and we have some financials to look at, all of the sleuths have figured out that they sold about a million headsets in uh, November uh, and December, which is not a very long period, it's eight weeks, but it includes Christmas. And given that they've got $100 million of advertising out there, uh, I would posit that they're making them as fast as they can, but they're not making enough of them. And so, um, you know, at this rate, it's gonna take a long time for them to get to 10, 15, 20 uh, million headsets 
in the wild. So uh, for those of us who are excited, there are, I mean, the people who are buying these headsets are buying software like crazy. That's good for developers and good for the industry. But for it to really compete with game consoles and uh, PC gaming, they're, they're going to they're going to have to get a lot farther. Um, uh, also, um, in the news, Ted, you said you had something on Wallace and Gromit you wanted to hit before we yeah, there's, sign out. There's the, and, and Cheryl, I'm curious if you had a chance to check it out because this is a big part of your world. Um, yeah. um, some friends of mine out of the UK, it's a company called Fictioneers, worked with Ardman Animation to do a very um, sophisticated uh, mobile story-driven game called The Big Fix-Up. Uh, mm. And there's an AR component to it. It takes a while to really like unearth it. You have to stick with it. You have to really keep checking the storyline. I I myself had to learn like why am I not getting all the cool stuff that I thought I was gonna get? And then I talked to the developers. Luckily, I have a kind of direct wow. line to that. Yeah. They're like, oh well, you, you did you check all this? Did you remember to go back? Oh, I okay. I didn't realize I had to do all that. So they're kind of learning from their users, their superpower users that would spend hours figuring it out, and the general user that kind of got lost and they're kind of retooling some of the the navigation and the reminders and the prompts. But it's really quite fantastic. No, well, uh, again, in talking about like evolution, I was excited for them. I, you know. Some people that I look at like, oh, that would be fun to collaborate with them because I can see where there were holes, but I definitely saw what great opportunity. I thought it was opportunity. I yeah. really, um, and I was thrilled. I mean, there were, there are um, collaborators that have come to me in the same way. And I'm like, this is a very fun opportunity and always looking at how do you redirect somebody? Because I do, I come from the space like you okay, I don't want to get lost. Where am I? That Those are questions I ask all the time. And you want to keep people engaged. And you really have, lovingly, we all have an attention span of a gnat these days. So you want to make sure, how are you keeping people engaged? You know? And Charlie, I have to give you massive credit for the last five minutes where your lovely dog was saying good morning in the best way. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, he doesn't bite very hard, but when he needs to go out or wants attention, he is. Yeah, but, but you held it together and got through the news headlines. Uh, well, just really corona Getting a corona puppy is um, in question. Uh, listen, this is all the time we have. People who have listened to the end of this podcast, thank you very much. Um, Ted, always a pleasure to spend Friday morning with you. And Cheryl, you made it special. I miss your face. I oh, miss, I miss you guys. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Bye for now.